This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap, and being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I read that quote a couple weeks ago um, when I was working on this, and it really stuck in my head. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, and this week, we're going to start a new series uh, on a community of Christians that really understood the meaning of this quote, uh, of being a part of a big cause bigger than themselves and finding joy in that, and that is the Philippian Church. We'll be in this letter for most of the spring right until around the end of June. And, and Philippians is one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. Um, the church in Philippi was one of the strongest, most faithful church plants of Paul. And it was really clear that Paul had a deep, deep love for them. This was a church that found joy in sacrificial love in the name of the gospel. They understood the joy to be found in being a part of a mighty purpose bigger than themselves. And they gave sacrificially of themselves and their resources to advance that purpose. When Paul first came to Philippi to preach the gospel, uh, he found these people um, by the river because they weren't allowed to have a synagogue in the city, and he preached the gospel to them, including to a woman named Lydia, who you may have heard of before. Uh, she was a woman who dealt in rich purple dyes. Uh, and, and so when she heard the gospel, she immediately received it and invited Paul and Silas into her home. And through Lydia, the church in Philippi grew. And, and so Paul and Silas spent a few years here, and they were very close to his heart. They were really good friends. Uh, he became very close with the people of this city. And as Paul's ministry went on, he eventually was imprisoned, the Philippians would send money and support to Paul. People would come from that church to testify on his behalf before the Romans. And, and they also financially supported other churches that were not as blessed financially. This church was filled with love and joy in the gospel, and Paul said that he thanked God for them every time they came into his thoughts. Whenever they came to his mind, he was filled with joy and happiness. But like every community of believers, they also had struggles. There were problems that they needed to deal with as well. And they had plenty going for them, and we're going to see that today in this prayer of Paul at the beginning of the letter, which is a prayer of thanksgiving. It's not a note that we usually have in the New Testament letters, because usually they're written to address problems. But uh, what we'll see today is a prayer of thanksgiving. But what we'll also see, uh, not just in this prayer, but during this study through Philippians, is that no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, there's always room to grow. There's always more room for more maturity and to grow closer to God and to, close, to grow closer to each other as churches. There's always room to become more Christ-like. And it's my hope as we study this letter to the Philippian church that we'll share in the joy that Paul felt and that we'll also learn a lot from their example and the words that Paul had for them. So we're going to start right off in chapter 1. Uh, this week we're going to do verses 1 through 11. 
Uh, and this is sort of the introduction to the letter. Um, there's a prayer of Paul for the church in Philippi, and then there's this exhortation that kind of is an overarching theme of the letter. And we are going to take some deep theological dives during this study, uh, but this week's not meant to be too heavy. It's kind of meant to introduce us to this letter and start to get our hearts and minds ready to receive um, all of the words in it over the next few months. So with that in mind, I'll read the first 11 verses of chapter 1 of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of the Father. So, like I said, this is a little bit of a different introduction compared to some letters, because a lot of letters, there's just so many issues that need to be dealt with in these churches that are being written to that he just plows right in. There's a short introduction, but then it's like, all right, let's start dealing with these issues that you wrote to me about. But here he starts out with this big, long prayer of thanksgiving. And it's introduced as being written by Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus. So, we believe this was written by Paul when he was in Rome under house arrest. And it's a part of what we call the prison epistles, which is Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And Timothy's there with him. Um, now it says that it's written by Paul and Timothy, um, but Timothy's kind of referred to in the third person in a few places in this letter. So um, we, we believe this is more likely that he was with Paul when he was writing this. Um, they, they identify themselves as servants of Christ, or doulos in Greek which is otherwise translated as slaves. They're bound for life in service to God. And while the church knows that Paul has authority, as an apostle, as an, as an apostle this title carries a sense of humility uh, to introduce himself as a servant of Christ. Because he could have said Paul, apostle, or you know, the big guy who tells the churches what they need to do. He says, Paul, servant of Christ. We're all servants of Jesus, carrying out his work. And his will. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. And this is the only place in the New Testament that these specific Greek words are used in the introduction to a letter, and we translate them here in English as overseers and deacons. So overseers, um, you'll see these types of Greek words translated as bishop, elder, or pastor, but this English translation here gives the sense of the word, or the sense of the role, rather than a title um, that we use today, uh, the, to the ones that oversee things, whatever we call them today. And then deacons. Now, a, little tra a literal translation of the Greek word for deacons would be those who serve. 
Uh, and so in Acts, we see um, when the deacons are appointed, there's basically this crisis where um, there's all these people who need food and assistance and there's no one to help them. Everything's kind of chaotic, so they appoint people to serve to help feed these people. And those are the first deacons. So these are the people who kind of serve in the church uh, in, in different capacities. And then when it says to all God's holy people, that word holy is translated as saints. And this is something that's slightly different um, with us in the Catholic Church, um, because in a lot of movements like the Catholic Church, a saint is someone who's been venerated by the church itself, the, the movement as someone who's really holy. Um, but in, in Scripture, what we see is that just all the believers are referred to as saints, uh, set apart, uh, people who are set apart by God. So this letter is to all the believers in Philippi. Uh, and, you know, when they would write letters, sometimes it would be to address issues in the church itself, sometimes it would be to address leadership issues um, with the overseers. But this letter is clearly stated, this is to everyone, to the leaders, to the people who serve, to the average person who just comes. Uh, this letter is for everybody in Philippi. Verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a combination of Greek and Hebrew words and concepts. Uh, grace uh, is a Greek kind of greeting and idea. So this is the free, spontaneous, unmerited love of God to sinful humanity, making its appearance in the redemption that comes through Jesus. And then peace is a Hebrew greeting when you hear people say shalom. Uh, and this is the fruit of that love from Jesus uh, in the lives of those who have accepted that love. And its main characteristic is reconciliation to God through Jesus. And you'll see that greeting throughout the New Testament in many of the letters, grace and peace to you. And then we come to this prayer, verses 3 to 6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So, again, these are not just some people that Paul passed by one day and preached the gospel to. These are people he spent a few years with. They're his friends. He's very close to them. And whenever he thinks of his friends, he thanks God for them because they've been such great friends to him from the moment he preached the gospel to them. Um, not everywhere were the people who he preached to so receptive from the very beginning. And over the time he spent there, they became very close. He cares for them deeply. They, they've helped him when he needed it, both through prayer and financial support. And they've been incredibly faithful to God and the cause of Christ. And the irony here when Paul says that he's filled with joy whenever he thinks of them, is that he's, he's in prison when he's writing all of this. He's under house arrest, facing a potential death sentence, but he's filled with joy because of the faith and good works of his friends in Philippi. He's overcome with joy because of their participation and partnership in the ministry of Jesus. They received the good news that he brought to them about Jesus. They've been obedient to God, and their faith is shown to be genuine by their actions. And Paul uses strong language here in Greek. Um, when he says that he's confident, um, he, he means that he is fully and firmly persuaded or convinced. Because sometimes when we use 
that kind of language in English, you know, it might almost be um, as a warning or threatening, like, you know, I'm confident that you'll continue to be good and do what the Bible says. Um, that can almost be a warning, but it, it's not a warning here. He's saying he's already come to this conclusion about them, that he's confident that God will continue to work in them. He, he came to this conclusion prior to this letter, and he's confident and convinced that it's still true. Verses 7 to 8, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus. So not just during his ministry, but also through his imprisonment, they've been by his side, defending the gospel and supporting both him and the church while he's in prison, helping him out whatever the way they can while he's being held back from his ministry. In a time when the church is growing exponentially, they're facing struggles and persecution. But he has nothing but love and praise for the Philippian church in this introduction. Paul is a prisoner for Jesus, and at the same time he's suffering on behalf of the churches. Not all the churches have been faithfully by his side. And again, this is one of those times when I say we just need to read through some of the New Testament letters to see this. Uh, most of the letters were written to churches to straighten out poor theology, or to convince Christians to actually do something with their faith, or to stop fighting and division in the churches, or to encourage Christians and churches to not just give up and bail on their faith because of the persecution they were facing. So there's all these issues he's writing and writing, like just, you know, do something, or don't give up on everything, or, you know, stop fighting. But in this introduction to the Philippian church, while they're still a community of sinful humanity, they've been by Paul's side faithfully serving Jesus and defending the gospel. So considering the amount of work Paul had on his plate with the churches in the first century, and the fact that he was trapped in prison when he's writing all these letters to these churches, it makes sense that he has this sense of relief, like, at least I don't have to worry too much about you guys, you're, you're doing good. Um, it makes sense when he says, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. And then we come to this prayer of exhortation. And exhortation just means to urge someone to do something, or to call someone to do something. And this is where we're going to spend most of the rest of our time. Verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, with all the good things the Philippian church has going for them, as much joy as thinking about them fills Paul with, he prays that they would be filled with even more love, but that it would express itself in new ways. They had a lot of things going for them, but just like every other church, they still had some problems that needed to be dealt with as well. Or at least they didn't have, even if they didn't have huge problems, there was still room for them to grow and to become more Christ-like. And Paul has spoken in depth about how much love and joy they have and how, much, uh, how strong their faith is. But then he brings it to this point and says, I pray that your love would abound even more 
but I pray that it would express itself in real knowledge and in discernment. So knowledge generally conveys the idea of a mental grasp of a truth, but the sense of the Greek word here is knowing God, not just knowledge in general. Um, that they would know God in an intimate way made possible through his disclosure to us. So what Paul is really saying in regards to knowledge is, I pray that your love would abound even more, but through your love that you would come to a deeper and more intimate understanding uh, and a deeper and more intimate knowledge and relationship with God. A greater knowledge of God and his ways will in turn promote greater harmony within the church and will give the Philippians a better understanding of their relationships and their faith. Discernment, however, is a spiritual gift. This can also be translated as depth of insight or perception. Hebrews 5, 12 and 13 says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is, no, sorry, the other way. You need solid food, not milk. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? <laughs> you need solid food, not milk. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since they are a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So there at the end, we kind of get this sense of what this discernment looks like. Um, it, it's good judgment, understanding, and most importantly, the ability to distinguish good from evil. It means putting something to the test, and then as a result of that test, either accepting or rejecting that which you tested. So having a deeper knowledge of God and having the gift of discernment are both very necessary skills and qualities to have in a community of believers. And the Philippians were no different. We'll see as we go on through this letter and through this series that although they had a lot of great things uh, going for them, they still had things they needed to work on too. Uh, and Paul begins with this letter of, um, or he begins this letter with this prayer of exhortation uh, before he moves on to the meat later. And that's something we should take note of. He prays for these people that he loves deeply and he exhorts them that they would grow even more in their love. Um, and this is all a prayer. And something we should take note of because often the most effective way to resolve problems is to pray for the people involved. And if a word of rebuke or correction has to be spoken, it should be prayed over first and then spoken in love. That's the example that Paul gives us here in this introduction to the letter to the Philippians. And then Paul gives the reason why they should strive for all of this. He says, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, this is the overall reason they need knowledge in the sermon, and it's kind of counterintuitive for us, um, because, kind of because of the way that we've preached the gospel for so long. Um, the, the, the fulfillment of this prayer will be that Paul's friends will have the ability to discern and then to practice the righteousness of God in their church life as a community. And as a result, they would experience a closer harmony as a church, uh, cultivating a family spirit, which would replace division. And as a result of that, they would become pure and blameless in preparation for this final judgment. And this is kind of what I mean when I say it's counterintuitive, because 
It's one of the places in Scripture where we realize that while the penalty for our sins has been paid, and while we will inherit eternal life, our actions still matter. We are to allow ourselves to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, which means that every day we grow more and more like Jesus. But the catch is that you have to actually let the Holy Spirit do this in you. That's what we've all signed up for, and it's a theme that we're going to see again a few times before this letter is over. And then finally he says that this would all be because they have been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The wish of Paul is that they would abundantly show by their lives and their actions that Jesus lives in them, by the way that they live together as a community. This is more than just a prayer for holiness. If we wish to honor God, it can't just be with our lips, it has to be with our lives as well. And this all comes through Jesus. So this is the tone that's being set as Paul begins this letter to his friends. And, and as we begin to study it and, and read through it together as a church, uh, my question is, what should we take away from this prayer of Paul? And what should we keep in mind as we continue through the rest of this letter? Because this is kind of Paul setting them up for what he has to say. So the first thing I want us to remember is that the church should be praying for each other with a joyful heart. This is something we sort of get, but we also sort of don't. We're really good. We're really good at praying for each other when someone's sick, and we should be. James 5.15 says, And the prayer offered up in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. This is something we're supposed to be doing, but it's not the only time that we're to be praying for each other. We should be praying for each other always. Here in Philippians, we see Paul praying that they would grow and deepen their relationship with God, and therefore grow and deepen their relationships with each other. He also thanks God for them in his prayers. And he prays that they would develop discernment. So from this prayer of Paul, we kind of get the idea of the sense that we should be praying for each other regarding all things, including for our own individual walks with God and with each other. And I think we all have a role to play in this, because prayer isn't a hard thing for us to do. It's always hard to find time to do things like pray, uh, because we are so good, and I'm very good at this, uh, of filling our lives up with all these things that, that um, keep our, ourselves occupied, and it just feels like we don't have time to do anything. We don't even have time to sit and take a break, let alone pray for 10 minutes. But um, while I understand this as much as anyone else, for sure, um, it, it's important. It's really important. And then, yes, of course, we should continue to pray for each other when we're sick. Um, that's also important, too. Uh, we should all be praying for each other with joyful hearts for everything, to the benefit of all. The second thing to take away from this prayer is that the church should be an example of the grace they have received. So like I said, in the first century, there was a lot of churches. Paul was going around planting churches everywhere, and the other apostles were going and planting churches too. But we see a number of different situations in these churches. One thing that's unique about the Philippians, though, is that while they do have some issues to work through, like everyone else does, 
their lives are still very clearly living proof of the fact that they are saved. They are not afraid to show the love of Jesus to the world. And because they're so committed to the work of the gospel, Paul is literally overcome with joy thinking about them while he's in jail. From the moment that Paul first shared the gospel with them, they have been committed to the cause. When Paul and Silas first went to Philippi, they were thrown in jail um, for kicking a demon out of a woman. Uh, But Lydia still is like, come on over and hang out at my house. Like She's not afraid at all of what might happen uh, by associating herself with people who are causing such a disturbance. They've been by Paul's side from the beginning. And they've also been there for the other churches. They were living proof of the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. They were an example for others to follow, an example of the grace they received through Jesus. So so like the Philippians, we too should strive to be examples to the world and the community around us. We should live lives that point straight back to Jesus like a mirror. And then third, the church should be continually yearning for knowledge and discernment. And this is so, so important. Um, You know, I've studied the Bible for on and off the past 10 years, um, and I've noticed that sometimes in my conversations, people will think that I'm some kind of Bible expert. But, spoiler alert, I'm not. (laughs) Um, How to get fired. (laughs) Tell tell everyone you don't know anything about the Bible. (laughs) I have taken time to study the Bible, and I've learned how to study it, and how to teach it, and how to preach it, but the biggest thing I've learned in all my time at Maritime Christian College, and, and studying the Bible in my own time, is just how much I don't know. Maybe you've heard the saying, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. That's how I feel. (laughs) For me, it just seems that the more I learn, the more I realize just how much I don't know about God and how much I don't know about his word. And the truth is, no matter how far you go, no matter how deep you go, no matter how long you've been doing this, you can always, always grow closer to God. Paul had so much to be thankful for when it came to the Philippines. Compared to the other churches, they were like the model for everyone to follow. And when you compare his words to the Philippians with his words for other churches, it shows how awesome they were. And yet his prayer is that they would go further, that they would grow more, that God would continue what he was already doing in them, that they would have more love, more knowledge, and more discernment. His prayer was that they would not become stagnant but that they would continue to allow the Holy Spirit to work in them, to sanctify them, and to make them more like Jesus. And like the Philippians, we also should be yearning and seeking more knowledge and more discernment so that we too can grow closer to God and closer to each other as a church. So as we wrap this up, um, both Paul's introduction to this letter and our introduction too to this new series on Philippians, I hope that you've been left with some things to think about. I didn't want to go too in-depth today, I just kind of wanted to give us a sense of uh, where this letter is coming from, um, why Paul's writing this, where his heart is, and, and what was going on in Philippi, just to kind of give us an idea of what to expect, so that we can prepare our hearts. 
Paul had so many things to be thankful for when he thought of the Philippians, and his heart was filled with joy whenever they came to mind. But even so, Paul knew they could go further. They could grow closer to God and closer to each other. So my hope as I conclude and as we begin this study is that no matter whether you're a new believer or you've been doing this your whole life, that you will prepare your hearts with me so that we can grow together. Because no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, there is always more room to grow. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the gift that you've given us through Jesus, your Son. I just ask that you would give us humble hearts and open hearts to be ready to receive your word for us. I just ask that you would help us to be servants of you, ready to do your will for this world around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.